This is a Rooster Teeth production. Content warning. This episode contains historical discussions about hangings and capital punishment. At one point in England's history, committing one of any 200 crimes could buy you a date with the hangman. Find out why on 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics and history of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature and do it in around 30 minutes. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. Chances are you're familiar with the mask that soldier and radical activist Guy Fawkes reportedly wore, the white one with the black goatee. David Lloyd created a stylized version for his graphic novel, V for Vendetta, and it's since come to be recognized as a global symbol for rebellion. Yeah, you see the mask in stores at Halloween and everybody knows it, you know, Mm -hmm. the goatee and all that. In 1605, Fox and his fellow conspirators hatched the gunpowder plot, a plan to blow up the British House of Parliament. Mm. And the plan was simple, or so they thought, hide 36 barrels of gunpowder beneath the House of Lords. Then Fox, a munitions expert, would stay behind to light the blast and blow the whole place to high hell. (laughs) Poor guy. He was willing to die for what he believed in, though. Well, you know. If all done correctly, this would kill King James I, also kill his trusted supporters, and then put James's nine-year-old daughter on the throne as a Catholic-leaning monarch. Remember, there was a lot of oppression toward Mm -hmm. Catholics at this time. Yeah. Hey, I would I would listen to a nine year old. A nine year old Catholic? Psh. I feel like a nine year old queen would be just so honest. Right? <laughs> I mean, kids are honest. They have no. They don't exactly. Which is why we love children. What's that that show? Kids say the darnest things or whatever. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's so successful because they just yeah. say the truth. This would be queens say the darndest things, and it'd be there like, I want to make it blue hair day, and okay, it's blue hair day. Everybody has to have blue hair. Down. Cool. Hundred percent. Dictator. Little dictator in the making. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> Um, Yeah, but doing so, Fox and his allies hoped uh, would be an end to the persecution of English Catholics, which had been extremely felt under the reign of Queen Elizabeth I and still persisted under the reign of James. The reason that we are talking about this today is because, psych, the plan didn't go accordingly. And that's thanks to an anonymous letter. Um, Fox and company were ratted out. They were put on trial, found guilty, and taken to the notorious Tower of London to be hanged, drawn, and quartered, but first tortured. Hmm. Yeah. Fox uh, likely got the rack, which was one of the Tower's more notorious and brutal devices. Comparisons of Fox's signature before and after his torture show that he was an absolutely broken man after. Yeah. His writing is just really, really shaky. It's not really forming his full name. It's really Mm -hmm. pretty horrific to see. Um, You can Google it. On January 31st, Fox and friends were dragged by a horse through the streets of London to Westminster Yard for their hanging. Now, here's how they handled this type of execution. The HDQ triple threat. (laughs) Hanging, drawn, and quartered. You know? You know? Yeah. Uh, First, the prisoner would be hanged but not killed. Only brought to the very brink of death. Yeah, very sadistic. Okay. Uh, Then the drawing would happen where their intestines are pulled with instruments uh, from their body. Happens in the movie Braveheart at the end. Also, this reminded me of the movie, um, have you seen with Jennifer Lopez, The Cell? Oh, yeah, The Cell. Do you remember that scene where they're- It's 
been a while, but, but it's I like, think. Well, it's a machine that's like winding up his intestines, Vince Vaughn. Anyway, that's where my mind went. But. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, just <laughs> go back cell. and watch it. <laughs> the cell should come up on this podcast more. <laughs> right? Exactly. So, yes, their intestines are pulled with instruments from the body and then uh, mutilation and a beheading would then follow. So on this day, Fox, he watches as his co-conspirators are tried alongside him and they all get this horrific treatment. And then it comes to his turn. And judging from which account you read... Accounts suggest that he then leapt from the platform he was on, instantly breaking his neck to avoid any further torture because they were going to do more to him, you know, Mm -hmm. after they hanged him to the point of uh, the brink of death. They still did the drawing and the quartering anyway. And now his corpse. (laughs) mm -hmm. Yeah. And now England has a party once a year in his honor to Remember, remember the 5th of November. Mm-hmm. We've all seen the movie. <laughs> Fox's execution is one of the most notorious, famous stories of death by hanging. Although the practice is extremely old, older than that, and certainly widespread across the globe. Yeah. So today on the show, we're talking about uh, hanging as a mode of execution with a focus on England, where it was the most popular and primary form of execution for centuries. But while hanging style executions happened over the world, they're distinctly entwined with English history specifically. Yeah, it's as English as like eating a roast dinner on Sundays or listening to Wham. (laughs) Yes, very English. Yeah, and like they, yes, hangings happen and have happened all over the world, but there was just something where the English you know, fell in love with this and said, Mm -hmm. this is the way we want to do our executions. So we're talking about the origins of hanging style executions, how they work, the different methods, how the act evolved, and the fascinating part, the public theatrics that developed around hangings, and also how, at least in England, capital punishment has since been abolished. Yep. So let's talk about What a hanging resembles in its most basic form. The convicted person stands on a raised platform. A rope is secured to the gallows crossbeam and placed around the neck of the convicted. They're dropped from the platform. The knot in the noose slides, tightening so that the person is strangled or their neck is broken. And that sounds pretty simple, pretty cut and dry. You can see why it's one of the oldest forms of execution. Um, But I need to know more because I am a complete sicko. Jess, where did (laughs) hanging first originate? (laughs) Uh, yes, you're the sicko out of both of us for sure. No, we both are, but you're, you more so. Um, yes, the word gallows comes from galgo, uh, a proto-Germanic word meaning pole or tree branch or rod measuring stick and the Middle English word gallus. 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 <laughs> we get yes. thrown so many words from different origins. It's always so tough. Um, When the Germanic Anglo-Saxon tribes first brought the concept to Britain, it was around the 5th century. But the Persians, the Romans, they were crucifying prisoners as early as like the 4th century BCE. Yeah, and the crucifix could be considered a proto-gallo, given that it's close instructor to a hangman's post and also designed to hang a person to death. Yeah, I think a crucifix is sometimes like called the first, you know, hangman's post. I mean, you're Um, technically, yeah, you're hanging. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, a 4th century bishop... You, you, Ophilus. I think his name was Ophilus. Uh, he even in the Gothic Testament he uses the word Galga, which sounds like that um, proto-Germanic word Galgo, to refer to the cross of Christ. Yeah. That being said, the crucifix and gallows have one major difference: hanging someone tends to be the more merciful option, killing them instantly, whereas a crucifixion tends to cause a very slow and painful death. As 
Yeah. You if someone's crucified, they're hanging for hours and hours, maybe even days dying. Have you seen the, uh, I don't know, the Mel Gibson movie that, what is it called? POTC, Passion of the Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've only seen clips. Of, I actually like haven't seen that movie. Just, just clips of it. Yeah. Well, they did a, a good job of really understanding that uh, crucifixion part. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> it's, ab- it is it's brutal. brutal. Yes. It's awful. Awful, awful. And unlike the crucifix, the design of the gallows is specifically for that insta-kill execution. And you're typically looking at a wood frame made up of two posts and an elevated cross beam. So sometimes so it's it, like, yeah, yeah, it looks like kind of like a, like a, if you just made a, a straight edged U upside down. Mm. Though, yeah, though sometimes it can look like an inverted L, like a single post with a beam sticking straight out from the top, you know, like uh, they're drawn when you're playing the word hangman. Yeah. The word game, hangman. Some of the earliest versions involved the prisoner standing on a wheeled cart, and then the executioner would roll the cart out from underneath them, which would be like a short drop strangulation. There are different types of uh, hangings we're going to get into, and the short drop is like there's not a lot of drop from where the prisoner is standing to when they're dropped. Or sometimes a heavy counterweight would be attached to the other end of the rope, like a like a crane jib. There are accounts of prisoners being hanged all the way up into the 19th century using this method. Which is brutal to think about because that is just so, so inhumane. Like everything's inhumane, but that's just Mm -hmm. so awkward. Um, And in doing that, the pendulum effect of the weight would just cause the prisoner to like raise up and effectively strangle them. And it could take, you know, 15 minutes onward of someone dying for this to actually like completely kill them. And of course... Gifted minds throughout history have, quote unquote, improved on the simple design and created even more elaborate versions, generally instituting a trap door element. That way the prisoner could be dropped through the door and their neck would snap. Yeah, they call that the standard drop. And if you do it wrong, you'll still end up strangling someone or maybe even decapitating them. Around the late 19th century, surgeons in Ireland conceived of a new drop method that would, in theory, break its victim's neck almost instantaneously. The English adopted the model, and it was refined by William Marwood, who was the chief executioner between 1872 and 1883. And this guy was uh, kind of devil incarnate, if you ask me. Like, he was a shoemaker, and then <laughs> a shoemaker with a dream, he just decided, like, I want to be hanging people. A shoemaker so he, with a dream. Yeah. So he, he, like, his dream was, like, I want to hang people. So he pursued the job of becoming an executioner, <laughs> which you have to think of what kind of person seeks that out, right? What was your childhood like? Let's start there. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, I was only allowed to play with shoes. <laughs> that explains it. Uh, he called the execution style that the surgeons had developed, he kind of... He, he workshopped it, right? He started calling it the long drop, and he honed what calculations had to be done to ensure that it went off smoothly. Okay, he's like a damn physicist or something. Yeah. Like, what? Physicist of death. Yeah. What? Um, no, yeah so, how, yeah, so how much like a prisoner weighed and how tall they were factored into how raised of a drop needed to be done. Yeah, and also he had this thing of like, well, the noose has to be the knot has to be very carefully positioned just right under the left ear in just the right place or it's not going to do the long drop properly. And like all this being said, to, to our knowledge researching this, no doctor or scientist, no matter how good they are, can determine like the exact timing of pain felt, like when someone stops feeling pain or, you know, so a lot of this stuff is and was like pretty pro-hanging propaganda. 
In the Middle Ages at Montfaucon, Paris, there was a gallows designed for four stone pillars connected with wooden beams. Bodies would hang and then fall from the beams rotting in the dug pits below. Yeah, and as we saw what happened with Guy Fox and company, hangings evolved in the 17th century into this like elaborate, morbid ceremony that involved drawing, as what happened to him, that's just dragging the convicted through the streets and then quartering, the disemboweling and beheading. Yep, chopping them up. Certain times and situations called for temporary gallows, quickly crafted and less stable. For example, these might have been used at low tide for executing pirates, so the corpses would be washed out to sea. Mm -hmm. Also, a lot of pirates and like seafaring ne'er-do-wells met their end at the execution dock, which is just, just off the river, Thames. Yeah. Over 400 smugglers, mutineers, and others who committed crimes at sea were hanged there, including Scottish sailor Captain William Kidd, who holds the distinction of being hanged twice in 1701. Mm -hmm. Twice because the rope broke the first time. Yep, probably waterlogged. I, the sea, the sea air, you know, <laughs> the rope's less snappy. So yes, like Jess said, temporary gallows did exist, but most European cities had permanent gallows in place. And a lot of these sites became very, very infamous for the amount of death that happened at them. Yeah, like the, the Tyburn gallows erected in 1571. Mm -hmm. Also known as the Tyburn tree, it was an 18-foot high post and three crossbeams arranged like a triangle. So in this configuration, up to 24 people could all be executed at the same time. And like, I just looking at sketches of the time, I think it's like eight people on each side of the triangle would be executed. The Tyburn gallows were sort of on the outskirts of London. And during their use, uh, over 1,200 people were killed there using the short drop method we mentioned earlier. It's famous for where Henry VIII held his hangings. Yeah. But before we get into Henry VIII's hangings, now a word from our sponsors. Jess, you know those giant plastic bottles that detergent comes in? Something like 90% of them don't get recycled. Yeah, that's 700 million detergent bottles just going into landfills. But what can we do? Stop doing laundry? No, but we can switch to EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze's laundry detergent eco sheets look like dryer sheets, but they're not. They dissolve 100% in any wash cycle, and you don't even have to measure. You just toss them in. Yeah, they're just like this white rectangle, very flimsy square. I just throw it in and boom, bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> <laughs> Clean clothes. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's very easy. It's not going to be messy, right? Because it's just the sheet. Yeah. You know, no liquid. It's great. Yeah. EarthBreeze has biodegradable, plastic-free packaging, and their eco-sheets are even vegan. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Love that. And, dermatolo mm -hmm. and dermatologically tested to be safe for sensitive skin, which is really important to me because I have issues. And so this is a great solution for me. 100%. And even like when I throw the pods in, my fingers always smell and taste like the, the grossness of, of the mm -hmm. soap. And I'm like, oh, I love that this was just so... I don't know. I didn't do that on my hands. Um, Taste like. Yeah. Well, sometimes like I forget that I did laundry and I, I picked up the pod and threw it in and then I'm like, have my fingers Licking in my mouth. Fingers. Yeah. Like I always do. <laughs> and I'm like, ew, oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but most important, you still get a powerful clean for your clothes, which mm -hmm. I actually just used this for the first time. Um, yesterday to clean a very large load of clothes um, <laughs> that I had been putting off for a few weeks now. And honestly, I put them in the dryer. They came out. I'm wearing my clothes right now. I smell fresh as a damn daisy. Ooh, baby. And my clothes are clean. 
And it's just, it, there's, there's no difference. Everything is clean. They're, my clothes are exactly how I prefer them. And guess what? EarthBreeze offers flexible subscriptions that you can adjust, pause, or cancel anytime. So now's the time to try EarthBreeze because right now our listeners can subscribe and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash 30mm, that's 30mm, to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash 30mm for 40% off. earthbreeze.com slash 30mm. Elise, I know you wanted to go out more in the new year and I know you got a electric e-bike. How's that going? Well, Jessica, thank you for outing me to all our listeners, telling them that I don't get out. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Um, I am getting out more. And that is all thanks to electric e-bikes. Um, I'm pedaling everywhere. I'm loving it. And I'm loving the assistance. Electric e-bikes, if you don't know, are electric bikes with all kinds of bells and whistles that make getting around super easy. And honestly, letting me enjoy the city of L.A. that I love so much. We, we are a hilly city. And so it's nice to have this option that isn't like being behind a wheel. Hell yeah. So no more of that always stuck in a car scenario. No, especially like for quick errands when it's just too far to walk, but it's it's so close that it feels weird to drive. Yeah, that describes uh, 50% of Austin. Yeah, if you're like, I'm just going to the store because I just need one thing, which I do all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, jumping on the bike is so great on the electric e-bike. It makes it uh, simple. And I also feel like I'm getting a little bit of exercise, too. And electric e-bikes are great for longer rides, too, right? Yeah, I can cover up to 45 miles in one charge. And uh, it goes about 28 miles per hour up to. Nice. So it's perfect for all kinds of adventures. And the electric XP 3.0 has a new motor that's quieter with increased torque for more power with less noise, plus add a suspension for a smoother ride. Mm -hmm. And now they're introducing the ultimate experience for all. And that's the electric XP trike. It's so cool. It's the first ever foldable electric tricycle. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So everyone can enjoy the carefree experience of riding electric. So I imagine if like you're just not... Great on a bike. What a, what a great alternative. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> you can't balance. Yes. So get out there and find adventure with electric e-bikes. Visit electricebikes.com to learn more. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com. Now back to the show. We were just about to get into Henry VIII who was just history, one of history's monsters. He held his hangings at the Tyburn Gallows. And uh, he was a frequenter of the site, right, Jess? <laughs> no, yeah, 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 yeah. He was. Uh, uh, during his 36-year reign, Henry VIII is estimated to have executed anywhere between a 50 to 75,000 uh, people. <laughs> yeah, and, and when we think of, like, the Tudor's murder spree, I think we tend to think of some of the more, like, dramatic methods, like people being boiled alive. Henry beheading two of his six wives. Yeah, but trust us, some hanging slipped in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pun intended. No, yeah, those those suspected of like witchcraft or heretics were either burned at the stake or hanged, including Elizabeth Barton, a soothsayer who predicted Henry's death and was hanged at Tyburn for false prophecies and treason. Which I like the idea of a king going to a fortune teller and then the fortune teller being like, you're going to die and you, it's Henry VIII. Like, just lie. <laughs> I, like, like, you know what your fate is is yeah. going to be but maybe you know she was probably like that was maybe her big like fuck you to him 
Yeah. Getting in uh, his brain. <laughs> I hope so. Good for you, Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, like her, many others met their end at Tyburn, thanks to Henry. Those who betrayed him broke his trust or just invoked his naturally paranoid nature. Basically, if you looked at him wrong, he was your standard inbred maniac dictator. Oh, he reminds me of you. <laughs> oh, no, no, Jessica, no, 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 you better no, have no. that 30 more minutes to <laughs> my death on Monday. <laughs> no, no, no. You're the complete opposite of him in any way, in every way. Even the um, inbred? Well, I question that sometimes. <laughs> I, even the inbred just occur? <laughs> Stop it. Oh, man. Oh, jeez. You know, the crowd would turn out in numbers at Tyburn to see who dared defy the king. Tyburn and other sites like it became spectacles, like... It just like a, like a Knicks game <laughs> for the public. And uh, they developed these reputations. It was really reality TV for medieval people. Yeah, yeah. Crowds of hundreds and reportedly even thousands would gather to watch this macabre entertainment. They literally sold tickets to it like it was an event. They sold tickets and people would pay more, a premium for the good seats. They were known as Mother Proctor's Pews. And like, it was crazy. Like the Tyburn hangman became these pseudo celebrities. People started mentioning them in songs by name and stuff like that. Why is this you funny know? to me? I don't it's, know. I don't know why this is funny to me. It's, it's just me. So, I think it's so far removed from what we consider normal social decency <laughs> and, and like mores and stuff. Yeah. That the idea of like me coming up to you and being like, Jess, you come into the hanging this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And, you know, it's like it's like getting a, a box at WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah. The Proctor's pew. God. Oh, God. And it was like, it played up the whole experience too. And it, it legitimized it. Yeah. A lot of the prisoners executed at Tyburn Gallows were held at Newgate Prison, which was about like three miles from the gallows. The condemned would head from the prison to the gallows in horse and cart. But like we mentioned in our uh, death row episode, they'd stop at the pub for a drink with the hangman because <laughs> it was tradition. Yeah. And on the way, spectators might blow kisses, cheer, boo, throw food or ex excrement, you know, whatever. Yeah. And they planned a whole thing. So like right before the execution happened, prominent figures would make speeches. The condemned person might be given an opportunity to make a speech. Or merchants might sell like little pamphlets or booklets with those speeches written down or bios for the prisoners. It was freaking nuts. Yeah. They're like selling like baseball cards with stats. <laughs> for <these> prisoners. <laughs> Gosh, there were like food stands there where like farmers would come and sell meat pies. Sounds like a, a fun state fair. Yeah. And then after the execution happened, the bodies were sometimes put on display or there would be like chomping at the bit a bunch of anatomists who were waiting to claim the bodies and take them for dissection. Like no one had any chill back then. <laughs> Yeah, making a, a spectacle of public punishment served two purposes. One, to provide grisly entertainment and drama. Mm -hmm. It was this dark theater for the masses. Like, if you think about it, it kind of is like theater. There's a stage, there's a star, and a really big finish. And a pamphlet where you can read all their bios. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's like you go, you get the playbill. <laughs> you get the playbill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the second purpose is it served was uh, deterrence. So to show the people what fate could happen to them if they committed a crime or fell out of line. So mm -hmm. It was a reminder and demonstration of the state's dominance and control over you, the average person, basically a tool of oppression. The last person to be hanged at Tyburn was in 1783. Today, there's a round stone plaque marking where the gallows once stood. Public hangings were done away with in Britain altogether in 1868. And there was actually a crusade led by Charles Dickens and other writers in the 1840s. Wasn't it Charles Dickens that was popping up, uh, like convincing people that spontaneous combustion was a thing? 
Yeah, so like this guy, Charles Dickens, he wasn't writing. He was just doing all this stuff. And he felt that public hangings were toxic spectacles that only served to inspire brutality and generated unruliness in the crowds that observed them. In Dickens' words, those who uh, commonly attended public executions were thieves, low prostitutes, ruffians, and vagabonds of every kind. Just another Saturday night where <laughs> Jess and I are from. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know William the Conqueror, guy who in uh, 1066 led the Norman conquest of England, changed the course of history? He tried to ban hangings altogether. Like I know him, but I don't know him know him. But yeah, he was like truly ahead of his time, except he wasn't banning them in a completely pacifistic way. He tried to replace them with castrations and blinding people. Damn it. So close. So close. <laughs> so close. We're almost there. Um, but they were they weren't banned for long, though. Henry the first brought hangings back into style and, and law in the 12th century. So, you know, don't yeah. worry. <laughs> no, yeah. Henry was like, this isn't cutting it. Um <laughs> the blindings and castrations. Uh hangings then reached incredible numbers during the 16th and 17th centuries, prior to the institution of Britain's bloody code, a nickname retroactively bestowed to a series of laws in England, Wales, and Ireland between 1688 and the 1820s. It was called the Bloody Code because it was particularly brutal code of law. Between the window of time Elise just mentioned, the number of executable crimes went from 50 to around 220. Yeah, around 220 types of crimes that, if convicted for, sent the perpetrator straight to the gallows. 220. So try now, off the top of your head, to think of even five crimes that would justify such an extreme punishment as death by hanging. Uh, I don't know, like maybe like stealing my Kit Kats. <laughs> Farting on my couch, popping my balloon, giving me the old stink eye. <laughs> Any of these, you are a tyrant. <laughs> I know, but no, but it is it is wild to think um, that all these things people thought constituted mm -hmm. death. Yeah, um, and of those crimes, some were super tame, like forgery, cutting down trees, stealing horses or sheep, uh, pickpocketing goods worth a shilling, which is like thirty pounds today, being an unmarried mother, concealing a stillborn child. Which come on. Uh, stealing from a shipwreck, wrecking a fish pond <laughs> is my favorite one. <laughs> Just turning over a fish pond. Yeah. There's evidence that the number of hangings actually decreased under the code for a number of reasons. <laughs> one being that because the punishment was so severe, juries were hesitant to pass convictions. Yeah. Juries were kind of like taking the law into their own hands and saying, well, we know if we convict this person what their fate is. So we're yep. just going to not, <laughs> even mm -hmm. though we know they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, rather than killing their criminals, the English just started shipping them overseas. Um, you know, good on you, Australia. Took our criminals. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Um, between 1788 and 1868, more than 162,000 convicts got an all-expenses-paid, no-return-trip to Australia. Yeah. Also, the reason people weren't convicted was because pardons were being given out at that time, like sponsorships to Rage Shadow Legends. That's a joke for the the gamers, but if you're a non-gamer, that's a lot of pardons. Okay, good um, to know. Yeah, and overall, there was just a shifting societal moral code and attitude about human rights and decency, and people started to push for reform in this system. Before he was ever prime minister, Sir Robert Peel was a huge proponent for penal reform, and uh, he served as home secretary in the 1820s and then introduced a number of important reforms to the prison system and criminal law. Now I know I have the giggles because when you said penal, I started. I, I knew, I knew. I was like, I'm gonna put a real, I'm gonna put some real mustard on this when I say penal because Jess is gonna get a big kick out of it. 
I like how to cover my mouth. God, she's going to find ways to keep injecting that word in the script where it's not written. <laughs> um, in 1823, the Judgment of Death Act was passed to give judges discretion to cast less severe sentences, basically letting them decide which punishment was more proportionate to the crime. Mm-hmm. And then things started to take a 180 here. So by the mid-19th century, only five crimes would lead somebody to the gallows. And those crimes were murder, treason, espionage, arson in royal dockyards, <laughs> and piracy with violence. Um but, you know, arson and royal dockyards, I get that, you know, the monarchy was still such a prevalent and important force. So I could see why they would consider that so serious. Mm-hmm. Over the next 100 years, a bunch of other reforms and acts would follow, including 1870, drawing and quartering are abolished. Just good old regular hang-ins from then onward. Yeah. 19, yeah, I know. Not, I don't like everyone the... getting together and being like, maybe we kill the drawing and quartering. Yeah, it's, like it's no so more dramatic. Pulling yeah. <laughs> um, and then in 1908, the Children Act banned the execution of children under the age of 16. Which still seems so late, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, 1922, the Infanticide Act replaced the death by hanging for a woman who killed her infant under the belief that she was experiencing mental disturbance postpartum. And then in 1933, pregnant women were no longer sent to the gallows. Also in 1933, the Children and Young Persons Act raised the minimum age for capital punishment to 18. On August 13th, 1964, Peter Allen and Gwen Evans were the last people to be hanged in the UK for murdering a taxi driver. Just one year before, the murder, abolition of death penalty act suspended the practice of capital punishment for five years time. Yeah, they gave it about five years to think and then we're like, ah, we don't need these hangings anymore. So on December 16th, 1969, hangings were abolished altogether by a vote in the House of Commons. It's so strange, though, because like I think about the 1960s and that's when my parents, you know, were alive to think that this was still just a thing happening is weird. So much like that. And then again, we covered the British history with this, but like. The U.S. obviously has its own history with this and other parts. In the, there are parts of the world where hangings are still practiced. Um, mm-hmm. In Japan, Japan, a hanging is still capital punishment. And have you seen, Jess, that image that it's been circulating online recently? And it's of a room in Japan where there are a bunch of uh, maybe like four or five buttons on in, in a very sterile white room on the walls. And apparently... This is where hangings happen and the executioners, there are like four or five executioners that go in this room and they all push a button. Yep, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, at the same time. So that way they don't know who pushed the button that ended the person's life. Oh my God. That's the reason? Yeah, that way the executioner doesn't have to like directly assume that responsibility. Jeez. And that happens today still. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, no, I see this picture. I see the phone. I see all the buttons. Yeah. If you're not looking at it, Google it. It's uh, it's weird. Very eerie. Cool. Yeah. Hangings. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's you our know? episode for this week. That is our episode. If you enjoyed it, <laughs> there's, there's tons more content <laughs> yeah. to consume. We have a backlog of uh, incredibly morbid episodes. <laughs> so yeah. uh, Also, uh, if you enjoyed it, you know, that might be your problem. It is. And now if you've enjoyed it, you are officially a sicko. Yeah. You're on the no fly list as far as 30 more minutes is concerned. Yeah. And we should just make this podcast to weed out creeps. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. If you like and subscribe, 
No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can find us. You you can you can creep on us. Uh, on uh, we're on the social medias uh, at Elise Willems at Jessica Wasami and at Thirty Morbid Minutes. We're on Instagram, the tickers, Twitter. <laughs> No, in no way have you shown your millennial age more than calling it the ticker. <laughs> oh, man. But that is what I'm going to call it now. Yeah. It, I, like, just, I just want to say, you know, you've been listening to this episode. There have been many times we had to stop because we were laughing. I know we were talking about it's not funny, but not. <laughs> some of this it's, just made me laugh. It's I'm not. Sorry. You know, our, our friends at Ship Hits the Fan, they have their 100-year rule. And uh, I try to follow that too. That if something happened more than a hundred years ago, we can. We're not ch- trying to make light of it, but we, we don't know. have to be a yeah. doom and gloom. I think absolutely. And you know, and we've hopefully learned from them. Hopefully, honestly, <laughs> people talk about much worse stuff on the tickers. Absolutely, too, absolutely. From what I've seen, I mean, I'm not on it, but from what I've heard, yes, from, from what I've heard, <laughs> I'm not on it. I'm a little bit uh, too old for that. Mm. Yes. Um, but that's it for Jess and I this week. We'll catch you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>